Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me is a very special guest. She was on the episode The Slipper and the Rose. She is still a New York City-based singer and actress. She still plays Winifred Sanderson and is still a co-founder of Dead Dead Man's Toe Productions. And... She is still the host of Tunes at Talia at Symphony Space, and hopefully it'll happen soon. It's Ariana Armin! Hi! Yes, I really miss Tunes at Talia, can I tell you? Ah, uh, I, I miss going up there and making a fool out of myself. <laughs> it was so much fun. I love having you there. It was, it, because it's, uh, we'll talk about, you know what, later when we do plugs, we'll talk about it. We'll talk more. about it. Because I really want to talk about Singing in the Rain. And I'm so happy you picked this one. Really? Oh, good. Yay. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> right? This is like, this is the quintessential Hollywood movie musical. Golden Age of Hollywood, yes. Golden, yes, Golden Age of Hollywood. I, I, partly because it's like a musical within a musical within a movie within a movie. It's meta and not and is, and I'm just, I, I don't care anymore. Um, right. So Singing in the Rain came out in 1952. The story is by Betty Comden and Adolph Green. Music is by Nasio Herb Brown. I hope I said that first name right. Uh, lyrics... Yes. Lyrics by Arthur Freed, and it's directed by Stanley Dunin and Gene Kelly. And according to IMDb, a silent film production company and cast make a difficult transition to sound. Now, why did you pick this movie? I I, I don't care. I don't care whatever the answer is, but I ha- I have to ask anyway because I mean honestly because it is like my favorite movie musical. Like the cast is a fantastic. This story, it's one of the earlier movie musicals and it's got a follow, it's got a through story. Like mm-hmm. some, some of them you watch and they, they, they kind of jump all over. Like even if you look at like, uh, like Kiss Me Kate, which I love Kiss Me Kate, but it's got like some weird random stuff that's not in the stage production that kind of has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. This one, this one was like the last one that you were on, where it was a movie first, and then it became a stage production. A stage play, and yes, and 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 yes, ladies and gentlemen, one of my top roles that I'm dying to play is Lena Lamont. Ooh, <laughs> oh okay. yes, oh yes. <laughs> and okay. I found that, and in the stage play, she has a song, and when I found that out, I was like, done. Fuck yes. <laughs> um, but in the movie, there are the movie. 15 songs two of them mm-hmm. are medleys so you've got multiple songs within them and it's one of those uh it's sort of a jukebox musical but it's with... a trunk show they're, they're called trunk show trunk shows yes musicals which a lot of early movie musicals were you, you'd you'd have a songwriter that you'd you know like what like, holiday in uh urban berlin like that kind of yes. same kind of thing it was like just like 
oh, these are songs that I've written over the years and we can kind of like put them into a logical script order. So for stage, when you have like Crazy For You or Nice Work If You Can Get It, are those still considered trunk shows? I've never heard them referred to as jukebox and I probably wouldn't refer to them as a jukebox. I I would think they would be more of a trunk show kind of, yeah. So then obviously when this goes to stage, it's still a trunk show. It's still a trunk show. What's the song that Lena sings? It's called What's Wrong With Me. And what's really interesting about it is I recently learned it was written for something. I, I, again, it's the same songwriter. It's like part of, so it's like part of the, the trunk show thing. Uh-huh. And it was written for something else. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you search YouTube for Catherine Grayson, who Kiss Me Kate was, was uh, Lily Vanessa Kate in the film version of Kiss Me Kate she sings this song and it's called what's wrong with me and when she sings it it's like this beautiful glorious soprano thing and when lena sings it it's this comedic number completely some some of the lyrics have been adjusted to to her character um and and yes and uh that's a fun little number (laughs) that sounds amazing (laughs) to your knowledge in the stage show, does she sing it still in like that nasal voice? Oh yes, that's. I mean, and that's oh, kind Jesus. of the joke. That's <laughs> so. So it has also become my go-to. You know, anytime if I'm going to audition for Adelaide and Guys and Dolls, that is now my. <laughs> what's wrong with me is now my audition piece because it's the same kind of character I'm, voice. I'm trying to find it, and it doesn't say where it's from originally. Huh. Very fascinating. Speaking of the stage show, obviously you know that there is a stage show. Yes. It came out in 1983 in the West End and played for two years, jumped to Broadway in 85, ran for 367 performances, um, and it was directed and choreographed by Twyla Tharp that they dramatically changed everything because obviously I, Twyla I Tharp. Did see, I did see a community theater production, or like a slightly better than community theater production of it years ago, which is how I knew Lena had a song. Was it with the Twyla choreography? I don't know that it I don't know that it was a Twyla choreography, but it was it was pretty impressive, especially for like a, a I mean I say community theater, it's like a little bit above community theater level, but it wasn't like professional theater, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I I know yeah. what you mean. I know, but like I hate saying community theater because that just makes people think like community theater. Right. <laughs> no, there's some very reputable community theaters out there. Yeah. Are, yeah. And I'm, I, I think anyway. Um, and then the show had many revivals in the 2000s, but the biggest one was the one in 2015, though it was in Paris, and it was allegedly going to move to Broadway. But it obviously. Yeah, there was like talk about that, and, and what's his name from Dancing with the Stars was supposed to do it? Derek Huff? Yes, him. Really? Yes, he was attached to it. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, with the movie, we were talking about it be, It was conceived by Arthur Freed, who was uh, responsible of the quote-unquote Freed unit with MGM, where they, turn, where they like, turned out lavish musicals and obviously reused songs from mm. their past. And he and Nacio Herb Brown wrote for MGM musical films from 1929 to 1939. 
and some songs were written for silent films, which is very interesting because this is about the first talk, like the transition from silent to, to talkie. However, Make Him Laugh and Moses Supposes were the only songs written for the movie by Betty Comden yeah. and Adolph Green. So that makes sense because <laughs> Moses Supposes just fits so nicely that I'm just like, I know yeah, sometimes that's... you build a scene around a song, but like that is too perfect. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just a little too on the nose to, to have been, oh, look what we have. Right. I actually wrote down, according to uh, the the Wikipedia page, like what songs were from where. And a lot of them were from either a movie called The Broadway Melody, which came out in 1929, <laughs> or uh, Broadway Melody of 1936, which came out in 1935. Um, and, and the title tune, Singing in the Rain, was just like used all over the damn place. <laughs> it, I think, again, Wikipedia, so take it with a grain Mm. of salt, it first premiered in a movie called The Hollywood Review of 1929. So, and then there's, um, what was the other one? Would Would You, the song that happens when they're like recording. In the movie, in the movie musical. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> when they're when they're shipped after after the trio came up with the idea and they're shifting into the from dueling cavalier to dancing cavalier that came out in a movie called San Francisco, which was released in 1936 with Jeanette McDonald. I believe so. So it was very it's very interesting reading about this because you know you hear about. The modern term, which is jukebox musical, which is similar to what we were talking about with trunk shows, but like, Mm -hmm. it's just so fascinating, a lot of these, because then you have like the lovely and other modern takes on it. I think too, that the difference, this just occurred to me, the difference between like a jukebox musical and a trunk show musical is like a jukebox musical often encompasses the work of one artist or one group not necessarily the songwriter ah so like mama mia so like yeah so like mama mia or or um rock of ages is just a be- rock of ages the beatles show that came tribute show that came out uh jersey boys things like that those were not songs written by those people those were songs performed by those people so i think i could be completely making this up right now but i'm gonna go with this a, a trunk show is the show primarily of one songwriter lyricist songwriter uh or or writing team and and a jukebox musical is the performer or the group who didn't necessarily write their own material Mm. that that makes sense to me and i could be completely making that up but we're gonna go with that let's do it you know what you said it uh people can at us later if they want to um so i know it does it probably you probably can't tell from my physical appearance I fucking love tap numbers. <laughs> so when you picked this, I was just like, fuck, you're singing in the ring. You've got fucking good morning. You got the title of the titular song. Yeah. Ah, I forgot about Fit as a Fiddle and Ready for mm-hmm. Love. Um, I also forgot about Moses Supposes, which had tap elements. Just so good. 
I could go oh, on. How do you feel about tap? Do you know how, are you a, are you a hoofer? I am not a dancer at all. Like I, I, I finally like given up even saying that I'm a mover. Um, <laughs> yeah, I took a lot of ballet at one point in my life. Um, and I can get up on points. Uh, I can't do a damn thing up there, but I can get up there. Um, and yeah, that's, I love to watch it and I wish I could do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have now learned when people ask me in an audition, do you dance or are you a mover? My response is I'm dance dyslexic. <laughs> and that usually gets a laugh. Um, and, and, and sometimes they're willing to deal with that and sometimes they're not. Because well, not only did both Stanley Doonan and Gene Kelly direct the movie, they also choreographed it. And they've done and, a few of these. Yes, and Glenn Burden was also a choreographer on it, not credited. Really? There were, there were like two other like associate choreographers and Gwen Burden was one of them. I didn't recognize the other. That's but, amazing. Because yeah. mm-hmm. have you heard the famous story about one Miss Debbie Reynolds in this movie? Not only have I heard it, I've heard it directly from Miss Debbie Reynolds. Oh, I hate you. I went, at once upon a time, I lived in Los Angeles and they did one of those, you know, like Fathom event kind of screenings and both Debbie Reynolds and uh, Gene Kelly's widow were present and Debbie did a talk back afterwards. (laughs) So allegedly during filming, Gene Kelly was such a tyrant that both Donald O'Connell and crap. Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Thank you. I don't know what happened. My, I just blanked on her name. Obviously, we're fed up and didn't have it. And there was one day that he made, that Gene Kelly made Debbie Reynolds cry. And Fred Astaire just so happened to be in the same lot as them. And he helped her dance, like learn yeah. the steps. Because like she was like literally crying on her piano because she, she at the time was not really much of a dancer. She was definitely not a tapper. Right. And then. Yeah. Yeah. You can't tell though. Mm-mm. She's she's keeping up with those boys. Well, and I I actually I watched it before we recorded and was kind of like going through like IMDb and going through all the, the other trivial trivia stuff and like apparently like the relationship between Jane Kelly and both Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor was not good and like you cannot tell because like sometimes you can you can kind of read those things on film. Right. You, know, you yes. can kind of read like the animosity, and and you can't. But uh, like apparently he was pretty awful to both of them. Partly because things weren't going the way he wanted. Partly because he kind of he was mad that MGM was holding him under contract and not letting him. You know, he wanted to do the the film of Guys and Dolls, and MGM wouldn't let him out of his contract. And oh, I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, there was there was there was like a whole lot of. But then he and Stanley Doonan had a falling out too. I, I was. Reading a little bit on that, and I was just like, this will make a good season for uh, Feud, Ryan Murphy. Yes. Well, I mean, and, and apparently he, his behavior on Singing in the Rain is what kind of got him out of his contract with MGM. Oh, shit. Because he was just that much of an ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that he was doing American in Paris before this one, and then... Who the writing duo Betty Comden and Adolph Green was just like, here's the script, and then he went through and they had revised it and everything, and it came to this. So I I called them cameos, but like they're still 
characters in the movie. I love that Rita Moreno just shows up. Mm-hmm. And then Sid Charisse is like, I, I give you one number, and that's it. Well, it wasn't supposed to be Sid Charisse. It was originally was supposed to be Debbie, uh, Debbie Reynolds. I almost said Debbie Allen, which was like, Totally, totally different dancer. <laughs> <laughs> totally different time period and everything. Yeah. Um, it was originally supposed to be Debbie, Debbie Reynolds, but she didn't have the dance capability. To oh, my God. And Sid Charisse, I forget who the, the original, and, and it wasn't supposed to be Sid Charisse at first, because Sid Charisse had never done that, that style of dancing. She was a ballerina. Oh. So she hadn't done that kind of like jazz, modern stuff. Maybe it was Gwen Verdon. Yeah. It wasn't Gwen Verdon. It was. It wasn't a name that I recognized. Um, okay. But yeah, it was. It was. It was supposed. Yeah. It was, so it was originally it was supposed to be Debbie, and then they were like, "Yeah, she's not gonna be able to hold her own in this number." <laughs> and then it was somebody else who wasn't available. Was was busy doing something else, another movie or something. Um, and then so then it was like, "Well, we just did American in Paris with Sid Charisse, so let's call her in for this." And she was like, "Yeah, that's she exactly what I do." She partnered with both Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire a couple times, right? Yeah, well, she was Brig- she did Brigadier with Gene Kelly. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she did. I can like I can like see the number in my head with Fred Astaire, but I don't know what it's from. But she, can, most likely than not, because like there was a few women that worked with that partnered with them a couple of times mm-hmm. throughout. And it's interesting that, like, Ginger Rogers, she was with Gene Kelly? No. Yes? No, no Ginger no. Rogers and Fred Astaire. Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire only did, like, ten movies together of yeah. all, out of all of them. And it's, and, like, people compare them, like, they're such a, uh icon in our lexicon that they've only did ten films. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's wild. But in this movie, there's another cameo from the most famous unknown person there is. Do you know who this is? I don't. Her name is Bess Flowers. In the Golden Age era, and I think a little before and a little afterwards, Bess Flowers was like the most famous background person being credited to over 900 films. Oh, I love that. So... I'm waiting for her movie. <laughs> right? But, that that sounds like something. But she's always in a role where if you blink, you miss her. So she... Uh, what movie was she in? Oh, I did Babes in Toyland, and she was in that. You go through her IMDb, and you're scrolling for days. So, Best Flowers, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy... <laughs> But I think I want to talk a little bit more about the songs. So obviously we mentioned that they're, we, we said the phrase trunk show so many times that it's now tattooed on my brain. <laughs> but it's interesting that like the Broadway melody sequence mm-hmm. is 13 goddamn minutes long. Hello, kitty. <laughs> Your cat agrees with me. Um, who is like 20 pounds and thinks he's starving right now. Is what's happening. <laughs> but You're not it, starving, sir. It, it's 13 minutes long. Yes. But it works? I'm confused. And, it, and it's strange because, again, it's a show within a show within a show. 
it gets it's got like it's 13 minutes long because it has a whole story arc so i'm confused yeah how does it work within the dancing cavalier or is this supposed to be them pitching another movie it's the, no, it's part of the Dancing Cavalier. It, it's the so they go to, they go to, to the office, the RF's office, and they're talking about you know they they just had the test screening of the Laughing Cavalier and it was a bomb because it's terrible. Right. And they're like and and Cosmo comes up with this brilliant idea of let's make this a musical and and RF says okay but how do we do that how do we make it a musical how do we make it a costume drama but like have like this modern dance in it so the plot of the Dancing Cavalier like a whole thing the plot of the dancing cavalier is that gene kelly's character in the dancing cavalier is a broadway actor and he's doing it so that brings in the modern dance for for the film and he's in this production and backstage he's reading a tale of two cities and while he's backstage reading a tale of two cities he gets hit on the head with a sandbag And has a, and goes back to this, this dancing cavalier. So like the dancing cavalier of the dancing cavalier is like a dream sequence. But so then, then this, so then the broad, so the Broadway uh, melody. melody sequence is supposed to be like the modern part of uh, the dancing cavalier in that he's, it shows him as, as an actor. Because if you watch it again, he's, he's an actor like going out, trying to audition, knocking on doors and getting rejected. And then like how this whole centuries thing happens and, and whatever, like, does it really make sense as the Dancing Cavalier? But that's how it fits with the Dancing Cavalier. It's I, I'm the modern so confused. I need to por- see the Dancing Cavalier. It's the modern portion of the Dancing Cavalier. <laughs> oh my <laughs> the God. The present day, if you will, of the Dancing Cavalier. I mean, didn't hate it. It was just like, so are you another movie? Or right. are you the same movie? What's going on? Right. So it's like so it's a brilliant plot point and it's just a brilliant way to get this 13 minute dance sequence in there so that it <laughs> sort of makes sense with the rest of the film. <laughs> um have you ever seen the jazz singer i know you, you must have heard of it before this movie i've heard of it and i, I think i've seen like clips of it but I've, I've never i don't think i've ever seen the whole thing so and then we all you all kind of have like that that mammy swan swanee al jolson trope in your head you know which is what that's yeah, from yeah yeah um, yeah yeah you it's from 1927 it. so obviously it was a different things... time it doesn't make it right but it was a different time <laughs> right yes um, it is, according to the Wikipedia, <laughs> this is how they described it. It's the first feature-length motion picture to have synchronized recorded music and lip-syncing to singing and sometimes speech. So that's basically the first way to say this is the first talkie. Yes. Um, it's a long explanation. It did bring the end to the silent film era, but there were still silent films that happened a few years after. So it was like the climax and then it waned to like nothing. At the first Oscars, <laughs> it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, but lost. And then I think it was also at the first Oscars, Daryl F. Zanuck, who was one, who was the 
one of the producers, if not the producer of this film, won an honorary Academy Award for uh, for revolutionizing the industry. So it's interesting that like this movie is paying respect to that, and then also Hollywood, because then you jump to um, the accolades that were given to Singing in the Rain. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and uh, Best Original Music Score. Obviously lost, (laughs) because I said nominated. Donald O'Connor won a Golden Globe for Best Actor. Betty Comden and Adolph Green received Writers Guild Guild of America Award for Best Written American Musical. That's a tongue twister. Um, It's number five on AFI's 100 Years of 100 Movies list, 2007. And it moved up from number 10 in the original 1998 list. And it's inducted into the National Film Registry in 1989. Like, this film is very important to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, is, so is The Jazz Singer, because obviously we wouldn't have this film without it. <laughs> right. Well, I, mean, I mean, that's the whole, the whole emphasis for it is, I mean, they actually do talk about The Jazz Singer and they don't, you know, they don't like, it happens it happens in our reality as, as opposed to like being a kind of an alternate reality. Yes. Where like the jazz singer didn't exist. And they, they, a lot of the conversation around it, I think was probably the same conversation that they had in the real and real time. Yeah. Is like, it wasn't going to work. Wasn't going to work. People said the same thing about television. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to work. And then boom, streaming services, boom, <laughs> to bring it to the modern age. Yes. But like this, oh god, this movie is so fucking good. <laughs> I'm so glad you like it so much because that just makes it so much more fun to talk about. I, on occasion, watch Good Morning maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. Like just the clip, and also um, make them laugh. Like if I watch one, I'm gonna watch the other. Mm-hmm. Wh- and it's oh, so I will, I will tell you, I will give you this little, it's, it's hard to find, um, and it's not a great video, but look up Randy Rogel, make him laugh. Randy, you will know better as the songwriter for the Animaniacs. Okay. He's the guy who wrote United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, blah, blah, blah. He's also <laughs> like the premier live stage production Cosmo for singing in the rain and there is some some clips of him doing uh make him laugh and it's oh. just it's very it's very good oh i think i found it i'm gonna watch it later <laughs> but um obviously make him laugh was then done by joseph gordon levitt on snl and then it was also done on glee with mm-hmm. matthew morrison and harry shum jr cut splitting the choreography if you will <laughs> Because famously, Donald O'Connor did this twice. Um, and was in the hospital. And was in the hospital. Between, and, between the two. Yeah, and he had to do it a second time because the first time it was lost to a fire. <laughs> no, it wasn't lost to a fire. It was, uh, the camera was not set properly. <gasps> That's and what it was. Like, was. Uh, yeah, and like the, the film got like fogged up. And yeah, so like he, he did it. He was also like a very heavy smoker, as they all were back then. Um right. Which is why you know he was completely taken out by by this number, and yeah, and so they they filmed it, and it was in the can, it was good, and he was like in the hospital for a week, <laughs> recovering from it, and he was dancing on concrete. 
You know, that yes. was not that was not a dance floor. That was not an appropriate no. surface to be dancing on. So I'm sure he had like shin splints or something from it. And so yeah, he was in the in the hospital from exhaustion from from doing it. And then he came back and and Gene Kelly was like, uh, you think you could do that again? He's like, Yeah, sure, I could do it again. He's like, Great, because you kind of have to. <laughs> Give me a day, the film did not give me, come out. Give me a day. Like, let me let me rest. <laughs> right. Because it's so interesting. A lot of it seems like a continuous shot. And then there's like different cuts here and there for like the running up the walls, I think, were one shot. Or at least they had mm-hmm. multiple cameras. Yeah. Going. I noticed when I watched it this time, I did notice a cut. Um, right after he goes over the back of the couch and like right before he pops back up with the dummy, I did, there's, there's a, an obvious cut there. I think if you know what you're looking for, it's like a little bit of a jump. But like the whole beginning portion felt like it was one continuous long mm-hmm. take and then running up like, oh my God, it's so well done. And uh, kudos to like those men that I list mentioned recreating it like i i'm too fat to do it but like (laughs) anyone doing that i give you mad props because obviously you are doing the stunts and the tricks you you're not relying on wires or anything like yeah like like you you have to do it there there was something i you don't i don't think you see that kind of dancing a lot like gene kelly did it donald o'connor did it there was like this kind of athletic side to dancing that it's not that dancing isn't athletic, but it's, it's like a different kind of athleticism that, that, that they had, that they did. You know have what you, I mean? Have you seen that Glee episode that I was talking about? I, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that episode took place after I got really angry at Glee and stopped watching <laughs> Probably. I mean, it was... <laughs> they... at the It was the one where Gwyneth Paltrow first made her cameo and yeah i don't think i saw that <laughs> um at the end of the episode they mash up singing in the rain with umbrella by rihanna i did i i don't think i saw the episode but i i saw parts of that like i it remember that oddly works <laughs> i'm not mad about it and then they have a rain machine on stage because of course they, they do <laughs> but like that's that's also the thing i was reading some of the reviews from the stage version and people complained about that because like you can hear it and it's like guys like separate the stage, yourselves the stage production i saw had rain wow yeah i i don't uh, kudos to whoever does it and like how well do you remember it the stage production i saw yeah fairly well did they have a different were they on a platform or did they have a different stage or something for that it was it was it was theater in the round and they had i want to say that it it was just the same stage but there was like like maybe like a drainage system in it it was theater in the round and they had rain yes yes Oh my god! I, and I remember, I, so I remember it being like kind of a square, like a smaller square section of the stage. Um, and I, and I'm not sure it might have just the the rain might have just been around the edges of it. But still, 
like you know like so yeah but so like like it wasn't like the whole area was was being rained on but like the the outside edges and i think there was like a trough that caught the the water and speak if i'm yeah if i'm remembering correctly that's how it was done and speaking of that and also long takes um i really appreciated that song in this movie because i know it's the titular song and all that but like when you watch it whoever was like the in charge of continuity or what have you paid very close attention to his costume because like it got drenched and it was like the same pattern throughout and i was i was just like that's a detail i like (laughs) that i noticed but like it's so well done and i know that he he did that with like a 102 fever or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. My God. That man was insane. Oh, he he was. <laughs> insane, but sane. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you want to like talk about before we get to Sharp and Flot? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think we I think we we've done a very good job of covering just everything about the you know yeah 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 and then um, well oh and then my favorite is uh it's not a it's not a sharp but i just wanted to talk about it that um (laughs) debbie reynolds (laughs) uh i forgot her name again debbie reynolds was dubbed in this movie and this movie movie is not being dubbed like, well, no, it, it, well, it's not just that she was dubbed. It's that she, she, her, her dubbing of Lena Lamont was dubbed by Jean Hagen, who played Lena Lamont. But then she was dubbed by another, and, and then the singing was dubbed by somebody else. Right, and for, I was just for, like, for Lena, not not for not for uh, Kathy. Okay, Ka- Kathy is Debbie Reynolds, but yeah, so it was like double, it was like this weird, like double dubbing triple dubbing of Lena Lamont. It's so fascinating that there's a lot happening in this movie. You know, they're showing you how films are made. They're uh, setting it at the rise of the talkies. Um, They were talking about dubbing and that last one was happening all the time during this time period Mm -hmm. where Marnie Nixon, is that Marnie Nixon. Marnie, Marnie Nixon. Nixon, like this is her film. <laughs> she was, she was everybody. She this, was, you know, this is her life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If, if there's, if there's a a singing movie from that period, and there was a name actress who wasn't necessarily known for singing, then the singing was Marnie Nixon. <laughs> or Marnie Nixon just shows up randomly in Mary Poppins as an animal, like. <laughs> <laughs> and she was she. I'd have to double check this, but I think did she do one of the nuns in Sound of Music? Uh, I believe so. Somebody's going to yell at me. <laughs> yes, she was. She... Hold on. Uh, vamp! Somebody vamp for me! Vamp! Uh, vamp! Um, she was a nun. She didn't like do the voice. She was Sister yeah. Sophia. Okay, yes. Yeah, but like <laughs> looking at her IMDb, she was the was... playback vocalist for Deborah Kerr, 
playback vocalist for Natalie Wood, playback vocalist in West Side Story, and my uh, my fair lady. She was playback vocalist for Audrey Hepburn. She was grandmother Fa, singing voice in Mulan. Like she's got a healthy, a healthy career going yes. on. Yeah, she yeah, and and um, and she, and she taught voice. Uh, I know she she was uh, Sarah Rice's voice teacher for a while, and. But like this movie is just like her life. Yeah. I don't I don't know how true it is because like obviously she has on screen roles, not just the Yeah, the she did roles. she did she did cross. But like <laughs> the, and it and it's not a secret either. Like that Yeah. Like this, I, I think I think it kind of was at the time. You know, because she was never, she wasn't credited, I don't think, for a lot of it. Oh, um, probably. Until, like, after the fact. They they did kind of, I think they did kind of try and keep it a hush, little quiet. <laughs> Natalie Wood is totally singing, guys. <laughs> totally. Totally Natalie Wood, guys. Totally. <laughs> she is hitting those high notes. Oh, boy. But, yeah, and then Debbie, that ending... Where Debbie Reynolds... They expose her? Yes. <laughs> and then Donald O'Connor comes out and sings the rest of it. <laughs> he was so good. He was just like, like that. He's got like that rubber face and just... So, you know what? Before we get to Sharp and Flat, I want to talk about the love story. We didn't even talk about the love story that happens. <laughs> right? Uh, doy. There's so much going on in this movie. There's so much. We were, we were goddamn focused on music on a musical podcast. What? 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 Um, how did you feel about the love story? I like the love story. It's it's weird. It's weird to me knowing like the facts of the situation, like what was going on behind the scenes, and like knowing like what the age difference was between. Them. Yeah, that that always happens though. And that's a little. That's that's a little. You know, but uh, but I I think it's handled pretty well. You know, it's it's fairly be- you know, believable as those things go. It's cute that he like drops into her car. <laughs> but like, you, know, they have that. you kind of forget about it, and then it comes back mm-hmm. at the end, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, and it and it and I like it too because he's actually very supportive of her in like this whole when they when they come up with this whole plot to oh you're going to be Lena's voice. He's like, but but it's just for this picture, and like you're you're gonna have your own career. And he's like, he's like supportive of her as a performer, as well. She's not a lot of. Um, I find a lot of, especially older movies like this, where you've got like a performing couple. Um, there's always some point where the the woman in the relationship has to kind of like give up what she wants. Hello, White Christmas. <laughs> Hello, White Christmas. Um, I'm not even thinking of White Christmas. I'm thinking of the stage. Oh, <laughs> this could get ugly. The, the stage production of Holiday Inn, which I just wanted to kill people. Um, but she, he's, he's also in, like encouraging her to to have a career, and he's he's not like he doesn't want to. When Lena at the end there is like, oh no, I know everything, and I'm gonna see you and the whole thing, and he, and. And he's like, no, she, she did this as a favor and she's got her own career, Lena, and you can't. And she's like, oh, no. 
and 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 he's he's there kind of supporting her and and trying to push her to have her own career even while lena's like gonna like steamroll everything you know ruin everything 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 yeah but like you know you get then you get to the uh broadway melody and you forget all of this that happened and then when it right. comes back up, though, because it's thirteen story- minutes long. <laughs> but then when the when the love story comes back up, you're just like, "Oh, right, that was a thing." <laughs> yeah, that was the thing that. Oh, yeah, that was part. Very big. Okay. <laughs> would you have forgiven him at the end? Probably. Would, would you have been he- mad like she was? Let's put it. That, let's start with that. I don't know that I would have been mad. I mean, I, I think the being mad is more that it's, it's, it is kind of an embarrassment to be revealed that way. Because when they were, when they were talking about it uh, as they were developing the idea of it, she was supposed to get full screen credit. She was supposed, it was supposed to be singing, singing by Kathy Selden. Uh, and then Lena comes in and steamrolls it because her contract is better. <laughs> and, and is like, oh no, if she's, if she's going to be my singing voice, then that's all she's going to be. And nobody can know. Um, so to kind of have it like publicly, I can see the embarrassment of that from, from that standpoint of now I'm just exposed to the world as I've been, I've been Lena Lamont's singing voice. But a job's a job? But a job's a job? I know, I know that's kind of, yeah, we're, and we're also like in this time period where like we're pandemics and stuff and it's just kind of like a job's a job. You want me to do what? Sure. Even back, even back then, like they were. Gene Kelly's character showing you how he became famous like he was doing Buster Keaton level stunts yeah and so that's interesting that whole montage of like that well, whole oh yeah and, and like the spin like the the spin in the monologue and the and the suaveness that he puts on it of, of like <laughs> I was doing yeah I was doing bit parts but you know <laughs> Making it sound more romantic than it actually is. Yes, and and Leah and I have been together working ever since. You know, uh, <laughs> I like that it took her like fifteen minutes to finally talk. Yes, and I, and and you see even even before you realize that there's that issue, you can see them kind of stopping her. Like no, <laughs> but they're not doing it in a sexist way. They're doing it in a way where it's like we know your voice is bad. Yeah, like. We have to hide it. <laughs> we're, we're we're stopping you from embarrassing yourself. We're stop we're stopping you from ruining your career, which is you know, <laughs> kind of yeah, ter- terrible to say. But like that's you know, there there, there were there were silent film performers who once talkies came in, that was it because their voice did not match up with the physicality. Yep. I think Buster Keaton was one of them. There was a few others that their career as an actor. Like Clara Bow, was she one too? I don't. I, I mean, I know she kind of disappeared. I don't know if it was a voice issue. I don't remember, but there, yeah, there but was very, a lot. But like very, very few of like the really famous silent film era actors, very few crossed over into talkies because they didn't have the right voice. And then it's interesting yeah. during Moses Supposes. I know we're probably going over, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I I love that during Moses Supposes. They're starting to do the Pan Atlantic accent that was happening mm-hmm. in the 30s, where everyone talked like this, darling, and they all yes. had a, they all had a cigarette in their hands. 
roll like roll roll your eyes and look round toes Moses supposes like that that was how it was in the 30s and I can't stand him I can't can't so like they so oh god this movie is just so good ever you peel another layer behind it and you're like oh my god there's more film history happening ah mm-hmm. <laughs> but before i find before i peel yet another layer to like the never ending center um why don't we get to sharp and flat shall we mm-hmm. flat. so obviously in this section we're gonna highlight moments in the in the movie and if we liked it it's sharp and if we didn't like it it's flat what was your sharp moment oh my god that's like that's like asking me to pick my favorite child (laughs) (laughs) such a one of those things you know you know what i love though what i i love when they show the dancing uh, the, the laughing cavalier for the first time and like the sound goes off and every <laughs> and then like the bit uh where they're trying where they're trying to record sound for the first time and you know it, and like she can't find her microphone and she's all over the piece and like apparently these things were based on things that actually happened it, it was reading like i think the the costumer that happened uh, to Debbie reynolds on- yeah, Actually, I, and like, I think like the, um, the costume had worked on a lot of silent films, had, had worked on the transition, and like and and those things happened. Yeah, I'm saying even for this film, they put oh, yeah, a they microphone. Picked up, uh, they picked up her heartbeat. Yeah, Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I was like even listening for it this time, I couldn't find it, but I don't know where where that is. But yeah, apparently they they did. Oh, they so crap. like that, just like all of that, and it just makes me laugh. Oh, and the whole bit that, where they're filming, they are filming the silent film uh, before the talkies come in, and Gene Kelly is like, they're like having this. Gene Kelly and and or Lena and and um, what's Don. the character's name? Don. Don. <laughs> My brain just went. They're they're like fighting as they're like going. He's like, you 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 horrible. What did you do to that poor kid? And he's just I. I had to buy it, you know, like this whole thing. And they're like having like this whole side conversation as they're like having. Oh my God. Yes. Romantic. That's that's amazing. Cause you, have you watched any silent film ever? Yeah. So you know that sometimes they have the title card, but other times they're there. There's clearly talking happening between the actors, but there's no title card. And you're yeah. like, what are they saying? <laughs> right. Or, or you'll just, or you'll just like watch them like talk, 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 talk. And you'll get a title card and be like, yes, dear. <laughs> um, you're like what was happening there i love the tap dancing like i said and i like the singing in the rain and make them laugh moments mm-hmm. yeah oh beautiful and good morning like oh oh those three songs are those three sequences visually are stunning you get three syllables for that. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> Do you have any flats for this movie? I really don't. Like, I think it's such a well put together movie. If like, if I a, anything, I'd say that like, you know, Broadway melody could be cut down a bit. You know? I, I, 
I had to like dig really deep into this to find something to be in. Yeah. Um, I didn't like Don Lockwood's rapey side. So Gene Kelly's character. Yeah. See, I kind of forget it. it kind of, yeah. That like that in that first in the car. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then even out after the car um, where she's just like, no. And he's just like, but you mean yes. Right. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, and, no means no. Yeah. My body, my rules. Um, I also wrote down Cosmos racism because that happens when they're talking specifically like you were saying when they talk about the jazz singer. Okay. He he plays something and pretends to be a character, a caricature of somebody uh, in blackface. And I'm just like, I, I could do without this. It's yeah, very yeah. it happens for like a couple of seconds. It's very small. Like I said, I had a dig. Um Yeah. And then I, I don't know if this is also going along with you with uh, Broadway Melody being so long, but I felt it took forever to get to the tension. But it might be because Broadway Melody happens and you just forget everything that happened right before that. Because yeah, goddamn it, it, 13 minutes long. Because like, like obviously like it's a very well produced, very well like standalone ballet storytelling kind of thing. Like it's really good, but it does, it is so long that it kind of, stops the momentum of the film so it's not like so it's not like in and of itself it's a, it's a negative thing it's just kind of it's so long in that section where you're building up to and it's like right at the end too and you're like this is supposed to be when like the climax happens in the story not like a climactic dance that has nothing to do with the rest of it it kind of reminded me of the ending of la la land Oh, see, and I hated La La Land so but much. You, but you know what I mean, where they, they have that dance that happens, or the middle of La La Land, where the that yeah. dream sequence dance happens, and that this is probably what La La Land was inspired by, but both had nothing to do with the rest of the film. And you're like, yeah, it can do with Yeah, it's you. just kind of like, it's pretty, it's pretty dancing. And, you know, like, like I said, like on its own as a ballet piece, it's a really good piece but yeah putting it like into this movie that's yeah. kind of like winding down you know for 13 minutes um you said you wanted to play lena yes okay what is your second choice then uh you know i i don't know because i'm like i'm not a copy probably cosmo okay cosmo yeah. I, I like I, I like these funny roles you know yeah. Oh, I did forget to mention um, the movie, The Broadway Melody. Um, it was an MGM film from 1929. Uh, so two years after The Jazz Singer, obviously movies are now, that's how fast Hollywood was with technology. Oh, yeah. um, it is also the first sound film to win a Best Picture Oscar. So that one, <laughs> like not The Jazz Singer, because fuck that noise. But <laughs> the Broadway melody, which if you read about it, it does kind of seem like the sequence that we see, but Yeah, was uh, it was it Busby Berkeley? I don't remember, to be totally mm. honest. Yeah. Okay, what songs would you like to add to your life's playlist? Um, so I I really like uh not particularly in the style that's done in the show, but um uh, all I do that that opening number. All I do whole night through is dream of you. When I worked at <laughs> Ellen Starter's Diner, <laughs> um, 
one of the guys who worked there had like this really great arrangement of that that he'd sing like early in the mornings. It was like one of my favorite things is 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 that song. And it would be um, this version or would it be the original? No, it wasn't version? that it was, it was like more of a more of like a crooner kind of version. It was a kind of a croonery that's probably the original version from the movie Sadie McKee, nineteen thirty-four. Probably, probably. So that's right because these are all from other things. Um, yep. So, like, I really like that. And um, obviously, Good Morning is, oh. you know, I, I mean, and that just like pops up randomly in my life as we're like doing nonsense when you wake <laughs> up. Yeah, every and, you know, yes. As, as I'm I, again, I just remember, you know. Some of those early mornings working at Ellen Stardust Diner, you know, being obnoxious and you know, good morning, good morning, you know, just to annoy the shit out of people because that's what you do. <laughs> For me personally, I'm not gonna include the titular song because I don't think it works that well as a song. Like on it's like a standalone. Yeah, you need the visual. Like I, I can't just listen to it. I mean, I can, I can, I can listen to it, but I don't think I want to listen to it. It's like it's so, it's so tied in with that. The rain and everything, and yeah. the the lamp post and the jumping around. Yeah, but I think I can disassociate enough from the visuals, make them laugh and good morning. Mm-hmm. But those are going to be added to my uh life's playlist do you have any of these songs in your book by the way i do not have any of these songs um i do have what's wrong with me um (laughs) from the (laughs) stage show uh but no i i don't i've never really had a call uh for something that style would you add any of the songs from the movie to your book i would like to get a good arrangement of would you Okay. Okay. I think I think that would be I think that would be something I could I could do something with. And maybe the um, all I do is dream of you, like but like the original version. Yeah, yeah, that could be done. Cool. Okay. Okay. That could be done. Hmm. That could mm, food for thought. Now I have things to think about. Yes. Um, we're done. We did it. We're done. We did it. Yes. What would you like to? Plug, promote, mention. I mean, obviously, go check out my, my Instagram because that's where stuff pops up if I'm doing anything. Um, so that is Lady Aria, L-A-D-Y-A-R-I-A with an underscore after it um, because, you know, stupid people are stupid. And <laughs> yes, they are. Yes. And of course, you know, check out Dead Man's Toe Productions. Uh, you just search that on YouTube, you will find all our Sanderson sister nonsense, um, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> and which, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, as of uh, the time this is being played, there'll be a few of the Gilbert and Sullivan Project things out. That you mentioned <laughs> last time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, and all of that will you can find on my YouTube channel. Just search Ariana Armand, A R M O N. You'll find it's in the it's in the title. It's in there. Just go look up. Just go look up that stuff, and you'll see what I'm doing, what I've done, (laughs) and uh, follow my Instagram for future updates to keep current and to look at my cats, who you obviously heard on this episode because they're they think they're starving. Does Uh, Dead Man's Toe have 
other social media besides YouTube and a website? Um, we do we do have uh, an Instagram. It's DMT dot P-R-O-D. So like Dead Man's Joe Productions. Um, that so so we, yeah, there'll be like short videos there and like behind the scenes, you know, silly clips and things. Um, and deadmanstoeproductions.com is like our website, which probably needs to be updated. <laughs> As of this recording, it needs to be updated. Hopefully by As the of time. This recording. And, and probably by the... by the time you hear this recording, because well, I'm really You got to update it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to be better about the social media thing, and it's just not quite. Clearly, you're not in charge of the social medias for Dead Man's Toe Productions. But you should whore it out everywhere you go. I should, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, to get that out there. We're, we're trying to, you know, branch out and do some other things with it under under Dead Man's Toe Productions. That's not necessarily Hocus Pocus, because we do do other things. <laughs> it's true. You guys did a whole Christmas episode. We did. We did a whole Christmas Carol episode. So oh, if, you, if you ever wanted to know how the Sanderson sisters would tell a Christmas Carol... Go we got you covered. Watch it. And if you guys want to add us for anything we said or the editing that happened in this episode, I apologize in advance because I know we've had some technical difficulties. So let's see if anything matched up. Uh, and I apologize <laughs> for my cats who think they're starving, but they're not. <laughs> it's fine. Cats are fine. <laughs> we did a whole episode on cats. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. Um, you can write in with your thoughts and feelings about singing in the rain or about cats or um, about the phrase trunk show because we've said dr- take a drink every time we say that. So. Yes. We- <laughs> we have a drinking game for this show oh my we, god we have a drinking game for this episode so go back and drink every time we say trunk show you'll be wasted in the first five minutes and if you want to join in on next episode's conversation we'll be talking about the flash musical episode titled duet that is season three episode 17 ariana why don't we just like tap on out of here okay tapity tap 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 Bye for now, guys. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.